The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Ops, ops, ops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is... Aww. <laughs> Billy's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's going to be late today, and Ralph Hicks uh, is in Phoenix, I found out today, so he's not going to be here. And behind the glass is Rocketman Andy Bishop, and to my I right... I trying. You're, hey. I keep trying. I have been searching the internet for the sound. The I found it. The perfect sound. I found it, but it's it, it, yours is better. <laughs> it just is. Making, it, making the noise with your mouth is just so better, much better. Yeah. yeah. And to my right is Cherry the Annihilator Lewis. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have a very special guest on our testimony series, Sarita Edgerton. Mm-hmm. So nice yes. to have you here on the Thank show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So... Uh, whenever I put out the uh, the ad, you know, through Facebook and was asking people to come in, you know, we got several people that signed up and Sarita was one of them. We've been friends on Facebook, but I don't know how, you know, I've got like 4,000 friends, but I think I know seven of them, really? <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. because of the, whenever I was doing the films, I use social media, you know, when I was doing like the ticket sales and giveaways mm-hmm. and doing all that stuff. So I friended everybody possible. And so that probably happened because I friended you because you knew Amy Connor or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you are here. I'm here. I'm glad. Yeah. We've been waiting on this. We've talked a few times. Yes. Yeah. It's been good to get to know you. So I always ask every guest that comes the first question I always ask is, tell me the earliest memory that you have of when you heard about Jesus. Well, I mean, I guess I always grew up in church. I guess that's what you hear about anybody pretty much born in in the Carolinas. But um, I grew up in church and went to VBS and— Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School. I'm sorry. Thank you, Rick. I saw you look at me when you said that. (laughs) I'm using vernacular Christianese, we call it. I'm using Christianese, and not everybody understands Christianese. But So I grew up going to Vacation Bible School, memorizing Scripture. My mom sang uh, solos and all kinds of stuff. And so from my earliest memories, I remember going to church. I remember being a part of a church, a Baptist church in Greenville, and uh, South Carolina, not North Carolina. And um, so— yeah, that's my earliest memory is memorizing scripture. I even have the Bible that I won from memorizing the most scripture when I was seven. So, yeah. So, whenever, um, so in order just to get right into your testimony, I imagine you can probably walk us through from seven to the current, right? And let us know. Cause I'm always curious, like, okay, so when you got saved, you know, was it around that time when you first heard it or did you feel, you know, did it happen later in life? So, take it away. I'm really interested. So, I would say I did. I walked forward and I made a profession of faith at seven, and was baptized. And you know, for all intents and purposes, I guess I was a Christian, mm-hmm. or at least I said I was. And um, I played the role really well. And um, then, like many Baptist churches do, we had sort of a split, and one pastor split off and went one way and half the congregation went the other way. But my parents just decided not to go back to church. And I was about eighth grade and 
you know, as a girl, eighth grade is a tumultuous time, and especially to have upheaval. And so we decided not to go back to church. And so I kind of fell away from the faith, if you will. Um, I did FCA at church, I mean, at school. FCA, Fellowship, Fellowship. of Christian Athletes. Sorry. So you were an athlete? <laughs> no. Oh. Well, yes. I mean, I was a cheerleader, but they didn't consider cheerleading athleticism back then. But we were competitive. I did gymnastics, so I was an athlete. Um, and, you know, I led Bible studies, and but I really was not a Christian. I, I did not have that profession of faith. And so when I went into high school years, uh, I learned to play the role really well because it was kind of cool to be a Christian back then. Um you might know this. I went to a Petra concert yeah. and a Striper concert. Wow, Ooh, Striper. Yeah, you know what I'm that? talking about. Oh, yeah. I oh. remember to hell with the devil. I had that album. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good album. I need to download that on Spotify. But anyway, so I played the part well, and I was really lost. And so to kind of give you a reason why that is, let me go back to the very beginning. So I'm going to go back to before I was seven. My birth mother was 17 when she got pregnant with me, and I was uh, conceived very shortly after Roe versus Wade went through the court system and uh, went to the, to the Supreme Court, and abortion was made legalized in all states. The father, my father, my birth father, was um, very wealthy in the little town where I was born in North Carolina. I won't say where that is, but it's close by. And he, his parents did not want the disgrace of a child out of wedlock in this small little town. And so they offered her money to have an abortion. And that was not allowed. It was a new thing. It really wasn't allowed. And so uh, she did the best she could to take care of me on her own. She got married to my stepfather at the time, who was a raging alcoholic, um, I've heard some of the other testimonies of the drug, the drugs and the alcohol and, and the damage it does to families and people and lives. And it, I lived that. I watched my birth mother be punched in the face, glasses broken, black eyes, um, and he began to molest me. My earliest memories are I was younger than one, and the trauma that I experienced was was very bad. So you have a memory from that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so incredible to remember Usually trauma actually, you know, that's why I say that I had very early memories in my life because I had trauma in my life. And that's what happens in the brain. We don't realize it, but I mean, before one, one, two years old, you can have memories. If there's trauma, it really, it, it sticks. And and they've been verified. They're verifiable memories. They've been verified by family members. But when I told my birth mother uh, that, and I'm, trying, I'm not using her name because we still have a relationship, and, and so I'm just not going to bring her name into it. But sure. she immediately believed me, which was sort of an odd thing for that time period. You know, now we're in the Me Too, we believe all women, but I was a three-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I told her, I tried to set the house on fire to try to get out of us up. My grandmother had made me a rabbit fur coat. It was fake rabbit. It wasn't real rabbit for any environmentalist out there. It was fake rabbit fur. But I put it on the radiator and tried to set the house on fire and to try to get out of the situation. I was, I just was at three years old already wanting to die. And so when I was asked about it, I said, because he keeps doing these things to me. And so she believed me. So she took me to the one place that she thought I would be safe, which would be her mom's house, my grandmother. 
And from there, I ended up being adopted by my grandparents and moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and grew up in the upstate of South Carolina pretty much my whole life. So about the time I was 13, when all this happened with the church, I began to have these memories that I had repressed for many years about the abuse. But what I didn't realize is that my birth mother, my I mean, my adoptive mother, my grandmother, had been lying to me about my birth mother. So I had these memories that didn't quite job with the story. So I began to doubt even my own memories. And so my adoptive mother manipulated me. She was a narcissist, and she's passed on. So I've been very careful not to say anything while she was still living out of respect, because I do believe honor your parents. Um, But she had manipulated me. And about 13, these memories came up, and I didn't know what to do with them. Hormones, puberty, this turmoil with the church. And I began to lash out at my birth mother, and I hate you, and I hate you, and I hate you. Why'd you do this to me? You know, why didn't you save me? Why did you let this man molest me? Because that's what I was told, that she allowed the molestation to go on, and she allowed the—she knew about it. And so basically, we didn't speak very much, except it family, because I was adopted by her mom. So we didn't speak very much at fam- except at family functions. And it was always very contentious. And I was just broken. I was a broken kid. Didn't know what was going to happen. And I was a type A broken kid. So I have that type A personality. And so I fueled it and put it into academics. And I was the best. I was going to be the number one kid in my class. And I I kind of went the opposite way of what most people do when they experience a trauma. I fueled that into my brain. I wanted to be a success. I wanted to show my birth mother and the birth father who didn't want me that I could overcome what they had done to me. So I I was adopted, and so I was raised as the seventh of eight kids. So I had a little brother who was adopted as well within the family. The same thing happened to him. That's how we figured out that our adoptive parents had been lying to us for our whole lives. That's a whole different topic than what I'm going to talk about today. So this broken girl with, you know, a dad who molested her, a dad who didn't want her, an adoptive father who didn't want anything to do with her, who was, it was his generation. I go out, I make the money, I come home. I'm not that kind of dad. You recline on the couch and watch television and don't cook dinner? Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Can I get an amen, Sherry? Amen. (laughs) Well, that's about how it was, and he's still living, so I'm trying to be as respectful as I can um, in case he picks up on this podcast somewhere and hears it. And so, anyway, I was searching for love in all the wrong places, and um, I found it in an older boy who was an adult. I was 17, and as my birth mother had found herself, I was pregnant at 17. Now, here I was, cheerleader, cheerleader. Straight-A student, honors, AP, going to college on a full ride, academic, pregnant. How stupid can I be? That's that's exactly what I thought. And then my mom is going to kill me. Like, she's going to kill me. Literally, that thought. And I thought she was. I really thought she was going to kill me. So I tried to hide it as long as I could, but... Me and pregnancy don't go together. And I, no, I have to say that. And I've been pregnant five times now, but I get sick. I mean, morning sickness is a thing. And I experienced it to the full extent 
you know, and she caught me throwing up in the bathroom. And being that I was the sixth daughter, she knew what it was. I didn't have the flu. I could not fool her. And she said, we're going to march you right down and you're going to go have an abortion. You're not going to let this ruin your life. And I really, I didn't know much about abortion, to be honest with you. I really had no clue about it. I just knew that— It's not really something you talk about in the South. Mm-mm. No, no. And back then, it wasn't even— Like, my church that had talked about it, and they went out and picketed, you sure. know, and, and yeah. prayed and, and whatever. And so, I didn't know much about it. It's just a clump of cells. It'll be fine. You'll be fine. You're going to do this, and life will be back to normal. And so, that's what I did. I— I mean, I made the choice, and I 100% accept the choice that I made, but the pressure was there. The father of the baby, my boyfriend at the time, he was like, I'll support you in whatever you want to do. But the church I had gone to that we had split from was protesting that day. So I had to go actually in disguise because they knew me. I went to high school with their kids, you know. So I showed up in disguise and went in the back door, signed the paperwork, paid the money. Can I interrupt you? Sure. Do you remember that day? Yes. Can you remember how you felt, like, because you were disguised? Like, did you have any—were you just—you didn't want them to know? Did you feel shame? Or what was going on in your mind as a teenage girl that was, you know, in trouble is where you were? I did feel shame. You did? And it should have been a clue then. Why am I ashamed if this is something that's so good and it's something that's so— empowering to women, why do I feel this guilt and this shame? And I blamed it on those Christians. Yeah, the the, the need to hide. Yeah, the need to hide. You can't talk about it. No, you can't. And right. so I go in, and I pay the money, or he pays the money, and they take me back. And they had ultrasounds. And, I, you know, this has taken a long time to come to grips with, but they wouldn't let you see it. Now in South Carolina, you have to have an ultrasound before you can have an abortion. You have to have an ultrasound, and it's— So, and they do they show the mother? Yes. Oh, so to make them think twice is that what's happening? Or? It's just to yeah. show them it's not just a blob of tissue that oh. is a human being in there. So it's well, we can talk about that if anybody wants to ask me a question later. But so anyway, I'm back there. I'm sick to my stomach, literally. The nurse is, like, rubbing my head and holding the bedpan, saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The doctor is down there doing the thing, and I'm crying and sick. And I remember thinking, this is the more, this is the worst mistake I've ever made. But it was already too late. And so they finish everything. They take me back to the recovery room. There were several other girls in there about my same age. And I was crying and feeling automatically like I had done something wrong. But I didn't know how to reconcile the knowledge that I had with what I had done, because I had very little knowledge of what I had just done. So the girl next to me looks over at me, and she goes, is this your first time? And I was like, yes. And, you know, crying, and she goes, you get used to it. And I remember thinking, no, I won't. I won't ever get used to this. And I vowed that day, I left, and I took my birth control pills that they gave me, like religion. But that day set me on a downward spiral that I likely, without the intervention of Jesus Christ, would never have um, overcome. 
So I go, I literally go cheer at a ball game the next day. Like, we're never going to speak of this again. I pretended that all was good. And as far as anybody knew at school. It's a strange dichotomy, you know? Like the day before, what is happening? And then the next day, we're cheering for sports and for yes. people. It's My inter- life, just an interesting, like, when you put side by side, like, it's a filmmaker's dream. Life, you know? life be like that, man. You you're know, right. Your mom gets hit by a car, and you still got to pay the power bill tomorrow. I know. Right. Life, yeah. just, life goes just on. Life moving. be like that. He's, life be like that. <laughs> that's right. But inside, though, Andy, my life stopped. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't mean emotionally. Right. It's just, right. It, we're talking about like the frames of life, what right. we see, we know, we still have to pay the bills. Yeah. But, yeah. but that literally, um, I know you call them, somebody, some people call them watershed moments. Um, this was the hinge. My life hinged on this day. And the next hinge didn't come for several years, but the hinge, I began the downward spiral. Now on the outside, everybody thought I'm the same happy-go-lucky Sarita. I'm all, and I always was. I was a pretty happy kid. I was broken, but I hid that well. You know, I I thought it was normal to have these broken feelings, this feeling of missing something, this, I know Christians use this term, but I had a hole, a void that couldn't be filled. And I tried to fill it with boys and sex. I got pregnant. So then there was this, the, the hole was even bigger. It was a big gaping nasty hole. Why, why do you think that we do that? Have you noticed that? Like, you grew up in a church. I grew up around church. You grew I mean, you didn't grow up in a church, but you knew. Why do we hide everything? Have you ever noticed that? I, I, I mean, do we really believe, like, do we have in our minds that we believe that other people will think that we've got it all together and that we're holy or whatever it may be? This is a, it wasn't just a Christian world. It was our society, honestly. The Christian, I think the Christian behavior had sort of permeated into society to where if you saw something, oh, that person is bad, then now you're marked for life. So what? You're not going to get a job? or Like, why do you think we do it? So I think it might be, when I've had some reflection time, and as I tell my story further, you'll understand what I mean, but... I think what we think is that the world is going to judge us so harshly for what we've done, no matter what the sin is, alcoholism, drugs, cheating on our husbands or wives, abortion. But the world but judges the, us anyway. But the world judges but the, no, there's no bigger judge than I was on myself. Sure, yeah. So when I'm pointing that finger and the other three are pointing back, you know how your mom used to say that? When you point a finger at somebody, the other three point back That's at you? Right. Yep. Nobody could be condemning me worse than what I was doing inside. I was literally beating myself up on the inside. And so I went off to college and I went on a full ride and I was really excited about that until the drinking started because I was trying to find a way to mask the hurt. I was hurting. I was hurting from the abuse. I was hurting from what I had done. I was hurting from relationships that I that didn't succeed. And I didn't feel like I had anybody. I felt I was alone in the world. Were you have... aware of the hurt or were you just living life and then you've learned that you like you look back at it later? Were you aware of it at the time? At the time, no. Right. You're just living. I'm just living. And you're drinking and having a good time, but you don't realize what you're doing. You're self-medicating. You ever seen somebody who has uh, cataracts? I had him. Okay. And so sometimes if you have them and you don't know you have them, you don't know how clear the vision, your vision can be until the cataracts are removed. When I got my lenses in, I was like, I can see. It's a miracle. (laughs) So when you're living, like I had lived with trauma since the moment I was born. Right. And I didn't know how to live without trauma. I didn't know how to live without that lens in front of my eyes that 
life was, it was hard. And there are studies now that say that children who experience trauma really young, like mine and maybe yours you've alluded to, have their, I think it's the amygdala that that controls fight or flight. Oh, that yeah. That is said, it's abnormally large. Like if you measure, like if I were to have my brain scanned, like my the measurement of my amygdala, because I'm always in fight or flight. I'm always in fight or flight, and I don't know how to not be fight or flight. Even now, I live in fight or flight, and I don't know how to just be— the hardest verse in the Bible for me is be still and know that I am God. I don't know how to do that sometimes. I don't know how to just shut it off. So— I was great verse, by the way. Thank you. I was drinking. <laughs> I was seeing lots of boys, doing lots of things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, I try not to talk about that too much because my children will be listening in on this. You're trying to hide it from your kids? Not hide it, but that part. <laughs> they don't need to know their mom's Leave that whole a later date. <laughs> they don't. They don't need the whole thing. Your your mother was a human being. Yes, is what she was. Yes, and, and so you are too. <laughs> but you're not allowed to do what she did, so kids don't know that about their parents. <laughs> no, <laughs> they don't. Definitely not. No, they Sorry. they have heard my my testimony before. But so, you know, I'm moving along. Um, I drink so much, I party so much, I lose my scholarship, and so I have to take out student loans. And I lost my place on campus, and I was living with a couple of girls, and. I was too much for them. Like, it was too much. And eventually, they wanted me to leave because my lifestyle was not cohesive with theirs. And a little bit too much partying, a little too much drinking, a little too, much, too many people coming home with me. And so, I met this other girl, and we decided to become roommates. And she and I are still very good friends to this day. And she wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. We weren't living Christian lives. We were in the same sorority and life was just going on, and I graduated. I don't know how, but I got my grade point average up because I thought, I mean, I can drink and do this, and I did. I did both, and I managed to get a satisfactory 3.5 grade point average from college, so I'll take it, and I began to teach high school, and here I was, a 22-year-old girl teaching 18-year-old children who, you know, it was a very trying time, and I see how teachers can get themselves into trouble. And luckily, by the grace of God, I didn't get myself into any Mary Kay Letourneau trouble. But does anybody know that reference? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, the teacher. I don't and her, but her, she you know, was middle school. I was at least teaching high school. Right? Vili, <laughs> the student was Vili Falau was his name. And by the way, they They're are married, married and, and have they have kids. two children yeah. together. Oh really? Yeah. So it worked out. <laughs> I still don't suggest the teachers do this. But she went to this. jail first yeah. while he raised the kid. <laughs> oh, that's so romantic. I know. Stressful. <laughs> so anyway, so I uh, completed my third year of teaching, and I literally hated every minute of teaching. I, it is not for everybody. Uh, but I still was—I wish I—I mean, I don't say I wish. I wasn't a Christian. I was broken still. I wonder how I would be at it now. Mm-hmm. that I'm not as broken. We're all broken. It doesn't matter. I'll be broken until I'm 100 if, I, if the Lord allows me to live that long. Yeah, whether you're a Christian or not, He's still putting those broken. pieces back together. We all have our know. moments, yeah. And so my friend who I roomed with in college was getting married to a boy that I had been set up with on a blind date. I met him one time and went, whoa, 
no, this guy and I won't get along. I was like, do you want to date him? She's like, sure. So they end up getting married. So That's I, how we do it in the South, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies just pass us from one to the <laughs> I don't like this guy. You want him? Sure, you can take him. Okay. And he's just like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't know he was my blind date. Oh. So my blind date didn't show up, thank the Lord. And so she <laughs> she ended up on the blind date with him, and they ended up getting married. And so I go down for the wedding, and I say, are there going to be any cute boys at your wedding? Because it's always about, are there boys, right? She says, no, nobody that you'll be attracted to. So we're standing, having the rehearsal dinner, and I look across the aisle, and I see this boy. Now, I had this rule. I was not going to date anybody under six feet who wasn't blonde-headed and blue-eyed. Basically, you know, Thor. and <laughs> Or a Hitler youth. Or that. <laughs> I'm thinking more Thor. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, can you cut that out? Um, so, I look across, and there is this boy, this young man, and I knew immediately— that I was going to marry him. I don't really? know how. I, I always don't, hear guys say that. I've never heard a woman say that. That's I don't awesome. know how. Huh. I don't know if that was the Lord speaking to me as a non-Christian or the Lord nudging me. as an, But he wasn't the guy because I was the tallest girl, so he wasn't a tall guy. He's like 5'10". So he did, and he's dark-headed and brown Broke your own rule. I broke all the rules. <laughs> and so, you know, we get to know each other, and they get married on my birthday. And so we actually went out the night at, that night afterwards. And he told me that he was in love with me, and that I was the girl he was supposed on to the marry. First date? The very first, we weren't even oh, really wow. on a date. We were on like a group, like the bridesmaids and groomsmen all went out to a bar to play trivia. Is he from Greenville? No, he's from the eastern part of the state. Oh, okay. PD region. He's PD boy. Ah, okay. I only ask because that's something I'm very familiar with. I'll tell you a story later on about a man who said that, and they've been married for 55 years. Well, we've First been, date. Wow. Well, it was. I can't imagine. So, it's so crazy. So they got married on the Savannah, or in, on the river in Savannah. And so after we all got back from trivia, we went out on this dock, and I told him everything. I laid out my life from stem to stern, what I had done, what had been done to me. I was trying to get rid of him. I was trying to give him an out. And bless his heart, he just didn't take the out I gave him. And here we are 22 years later and still married. But Good on him. That's awesome. Yes. He wasn't scared by it. So we start dating. Come to find out, we had both driven about three hours to this wedding. And we live about nine miles apart. We didn't know it. We didn't know one another. And so we go back home, and he has— I don't know if you remember that movie. I think it might be Say Anything, but he had the rule where you don't call for two days, like 48 hours. Y'all remember that movie? Yeah. Was it Say Anything? I, I, I want to say it was. I'm it was sure. one of those old, like John Cryer, John Cusack, John Cusack movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he had the rule, but see, I don't play by the rules. So I call him the next day. And I said, a bunch of teachers and I are going out for my birthday. You want to come? And so he comes. And the next week he introduces me to his mom. So I knew it was real serious then. And Which, on Saturday, they got married. No. <laughs> Seems to be the speed there. No, no. Just kidding. No, no. And so we began to date, and and we did know that we we were in love. And, you know, as much as I knew what that was, and but I knew that I didn't want to be without him. And so he had come to know Christ at 14 and had a really real conversion. But in college, as many people do, he kind of fell away from the faith and— a friend of his in, that he worked with invited him to a Bible study, and he went. And he decided that he wanted to 
be faithful again. He wanted to go to church again, rededicate his life. Right. You know, I don't want to try to use the Christianese, but try to come back to the Lord. Yeah, some people don't know the Christianese. That's yes, okay. and so he decided to do that, and I was like, oh, okay, that sounds fun. So we decided to go to an independent Baptist church, which it makes Southern Baptists look liberal. And so, <laughs> are you familiar with it, Andy? No, I'm just laughing at your at, at the Southern Baptist. He's not laughing liberal. at you; he's laughing towards you. Got you. They weren't like the pants, the you can't wear pants type of That's Baptist right. church. But no, they were, no makeup, no jewelry. No, no, they weren't any of that. They were kind of a a, a liberated independent Baptist church. Oh, so you can wear pants on Wednesdays. Oh, on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. And oh, it's pants day. Well, it's pants day. <laughs> And I wore leather pants the first day. No. Oh, okay. I absolutely loved the church. It yeah. was so different and so genuine from what I had known. But what they didn't know about us is that we were living together. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, you know how that goes over like a lead balloon with a Baptist church. So we tried to join the church. Can you imagine how that went? So they came to our house to visit with us to ask us about our faith. Now, mind you, I don't have any faith. I'm just going because the man I love wants to go. Sure. And they said, well, we would love to have you be members of our church, but you can't live together without being married. Well, (laughs) I pitched a fit and stomped right out of there, and I said, I'm not going to listen to this. But my husband, being as faithful as he is, decided that he was going to move out He was going to do things right. He said, I'm going to court you the right way. We're going to do this right. And so that September— And he did it? And he did it. He paid two rents. Wow. Wow. He is a godly man. He really loved you, didn't he? I do not deserve this man. Anyway. That's awesome. People tell me he outkicked his coverage. I'm like, no, he didn't. I outkicked mine. But (laughs) um, so um, he—one, we went to church on pants night, Wednesday night, and— Pants night. <laughs> pants night. And, Not ladies' night, but pants night. No, yeah. I don't remember even what the sermon was on. But I remember at the end, you know, a good Baptist church always does an altar call, at least pre-COVID. I know they don't do them now because you can't touch one another anymore. But so you guys— I think I missed something. <laughs> an altar call, you can't pray with one another now that it's post-COVID, right? They don't do altar calls oh, in Baptist churches. No, I think you can. We do. We're, oh, we you get, do? We get yeah. that COVID all up in us. Dude. We ain't worried about no stinky coronavirus. It's probably just by the leadership of church. Probably, yeah. It's probably church. done. You're probably right. I think everybody at our church has probably had it. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and if not, yeah. we gave it to you. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'll accept. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it twice. So, anyway, all that to say is, I don't remember the sermon, and but he did the altar call, and I remember thinking, I need to go. But I was scared. It was a big church, and I was scared, and they had already judged me for living with my boyfriend and all this stuff. And I was like, they'll judge me if I go down there, the little harlot, the lady at the well, the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. You know, I barely knew that story, but I knew that it didn't go well for her at first. And so, at least they didn't drag you naked out of a tent and throw you down in front of the preacher. And try to stone me. Yeah, no, that's John right. John chapter 8. Yep. Just read it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I have read it. I was that lady. But, um, and so I look over at Mike, my husband, and I said, well, he wasn't at the time. And I said, I really want to go down. He goes, for what? And I said, I want to accept Christ. And he had told me that he loved me and wanted to spend the rest of his life with me. He said, but I don't 
want to do that if I don't know that I'm going to spend eternity with you, which mm. I think is the most romantic thing like a man could ever say to a woman, especially now that I'm a Christian, maybe not, not before that. but And he led me to Christ right there in the pew. Your yeah, husband did. My husband, my future husband, led me to Christ right oh, there in the pew. Isn't that, that, that romantic? Is, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. So that is so cool. I gotta meet this guy. He's amazing. That is awesome. He's amazing. He's an amazing dad. He's an, he's everything that my parents weren't. Just so you know, Sarita's husband, I'm glad that you weren't a Hitler youth. Me too. Yeah. Because <laughs> all my children have just the most beautiful brown hair and brown eyes. Well, not all of them. Some have blue eyes, but anyway. So we. Eventually get married, and um, we moved to a, uh, we moved to Savannah, Georgia, for my job. I decided that teaching was just not my thing. I was going to go into sales, and that's what I did. I went into sales, so I moved to Savannah. We started going to a Baptist church, it's a Southern Baptist church this time, and they had a pastor from New Zealand as their head pastor, and he was the most amazing pastor. He said my name, Sariter. Yeah, the accent and everything. Mm-hmm. He did. He was actually a missionary from New Zealand to the United States. Which is common, by the way. Yeah. Australia, New Zealand, they send missionaries to us. Yes. His dad founded mm-hmm. the—his granddad founded the Communist Party of New Zealand. He was an atheist. Andy. Wow. <laughs> you want to join the Communist Party, Andy? <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, before you go, I got to say something. I was reading some early history because I'm getting ready for the church history. Uh, after Esther, we're going to kind of mingle church history from first AD all the way up or for the first century AD up to the present. I discovered when I was reading, do you know what the Romans called the Christians in the first and second century? Atheists. No. Oh, really? Because they didn't believe in many <laughs> gods. They only believed in one. And it huh. wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough. Mm. Isn't that crazy? They also it's had so a statue were... to the one God just in case they missed one. What yeah. was that in the Athens? Or mess... What was that in Athens? It was, a, it was in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, because Paul launched his his uh, sermon off of that. Yes. I'm going to tell you about that unknown God. Yeah. Let me tell yeah. you about the one with the capital G. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But the, yeah. So in the first and second century, the, the Romans called us atheists. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? That is. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. It sounds like the, the meaning of the word may have changed a little bit over time. So well, I'm an atheist like some... just like – see, I'm an atheist, Andy. Just like Paul. I'm a first century, like, atheist according to the I'm Romans. first century atheist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been called worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called worse by better. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. Anyway. So we get married. We move to Savannah. I move to Savannah. We get married. He moves down to Savannah with me. And we're living there, and we're going to this awesome church, and we're serving the youth because I just felt that's where God wanted me to be. And I was soaking up every bit of the Bible. I was doing any Bible study that I could possibly do. I was hungry, and it was like, or thirsty, and I was being given literally the living water. I mean, I just don't know how to explain it other than I didn't know what I was missing, but I knew that some of the broken parts were being mended. And so— um, we continue to go to that church in the in the year 2001, the third Sunday in January. And if you're a Baptist or a church that believes in that, it's Right to Life Sunday. It usually coincides around January 22nd when Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. So it's usually they usually have some message, or depending on what church you go to or what denomination. Some churches don't want to talk about abortion because, heaven forbid, we hurt somebody's feelings in church. But our pastor, the one who was not afraid, got up and he talked about abortion. I'd never heard another Christian mention abortion. Like, 
other than my husband, really no one knew, other than, and my mom, no one knew what I had done. And I knew that all those pretty Christian ladies in their pretty skirts and dresses and all of that with their perfect Bibles and their perfect families would come down on me hard. Like the women at the well would not let that lady come in the morning time. In the cool of the morning, she had to come in the heat of the day. And I knew I I'm was I'm sure gonna... very little what you said about those people is actually true. I agree. I assure we you, all know that, yeah. I assure you it wasn't. But in my mind, I was terrified. So he gets up there and he is preaching from Psalm 139. I formed you in the bloom. I knew you before you were ever formed. So the, the scriptures, and I'm like, I look over at my husband and I said, how dare you? And he goes, what? And we're in the middle of church, church service and he's preaching up there. And I, he said, I said, how dare you tell him what I did? He goes, I didn't tell him what you did. And I said, I can't believe it. And I got up. I got my Bible, got my purse, and I left the church. I walked out, and I cried all the way home. I was mad. I did the whole I'm not speaking to you thing because I still thought he had gone to the pastor and told him my story. And my husband, who is—he has the patience of Job, and I am very much very similar to Job's wife in that I am— I don't know why she didn't get destroyed by God, but <laughs> if you've never read that story, what she just said was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's Job. I'm Job's wife. Curse God and curse God and die. Yes, I'm like, how could you? You're just you. You destroyed my faith in you. He said, Do you think you're the only woman in that room who's had an abortion? I was like, Yes. He goes, Don't be so selfish. He said, You're not. You're not. And so I said, Well, okay. Because he always manages to talk me off the ledge. He's just that guy. So this is before the internet, right? We had that old dial-up internet. It took you 20 minutes to actually get on the internet. So I hardly ever did it because it was annoying. And America so, Online, you've yeah. got mail. Yeah, that, exactly. that awful sound is like ringing in my <laughs> head right now. Can you hear it? Cool. Yes, I know you can hear it. Yes. Yeah. Kids don't know what we're talking about. And so the next day, I opened this thing, kids, called a phone book. And I opened <laughs> it up to abortion. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I had to have some help. So I was looking for a pregnancy center, someone that could help me. And the pregnancy center in Savannah called themselves AAA Pregnancy Center, meaning they would be the first in the Yellow Pages when you looked up abortion services. So I called them. I was like, I think I'm going to kill myself. I'm, I want to die. I've done this thing, and nobody will accept me. Can you help me? Or there, is there a counselor? Can you can somebody can you point me to a counselor who can help me? Because I don't even want to live with what I've done. And she said, Well, we offer this thing called a post-abortion Bible study. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, Sure. She said, Well, the next session, the first this session's already started. The next session won't start for like three months. And I said, I don't think I'll last that long. And she said, Well, they meet tomorrow night and you have to have uh, 48 pages read plus all the scripture. I said, Done. I went and got the book, got the scripture. I met those ladies, and the Lord brought me to healing for my abortion, what I had done. And so I could actually talk about my story without weeping, without feeling guilty, learning that I don't have to carry that shame, that when Jesus took the cross upon His shoulders, that was the shame He was carrying. That was mine. That was my shame. And I didn't have to carry it anymore. I was dragging around this dead thing that he had he had overcome and i learned that and through the through the bible study we learned to pray to god and ask if he would reveal 
what our child was, if the child had a name. And so very clearly, I, uh, her, I didn't hear him say because I've never heard the voice of God, and I don't. But the name John Paul came to my mind, my two, two of my favorite apostles. And because I so relate to Paul, I felt like I had done the worst of the worst, and I didn't deserve until God knocked me off my donkey. But that's another thing, right? And this called the Burroughs of Bria. That's right. Yeah. Burroughs of Bria, good job. But he, so— she was too witty for us. <laughs> I'm afraid to say. Yeah, I was. Voted. I was so enraptured with what she's talking about. I forgot the fact that we talk about donkeys here. So, and so I, we had a memorial service. I'd never experienced anything like it. There were other women like me, who regretted their decision. Other women who had spiraled down into promiscuity, into alcohol, some of them into drugs, um, depression, suicide. It became clear. That we all had something in common, and we all had these symptoms of—I hate to use symptoms because that's a medical thing—we all had these symptoms, depression. We all suffered depression, anxiety. It manifested itself differently in different women, but we all boiled it down to this is—from that, what we had done was, was grievous. We killed a child. And when I came to that fact, when I came to know— that I was eight weeks along, and I held an actual baby in my hand or a, a model of a baby eight weeks and how formed it is. Whoa. It was life-changing. And the moment that God said, my grace is sufficient for even you. Mm-hmm. And when that grace washed over my soul, I can't even tell you how freeing it was, how free I was. And so I, w- the, the Lord saw fit to move us to Asheville. And I really didn't know much about Asheville, except when I grew up in Greenville, you would see on, they always got snow. So I was really excited to get snow because it never snowed in Savannah and it never snowed in Florence where we lived before that. So I was excited to see snow. That's really all I knew about Asheville. And so when I got here, I, the first thing I did after starting my new job was call the pregnancy center. And I said, do you have a post-abortion Bible study? And she said, well, we offer one, but we never have anybody to teach it. And I said, well, can I teach it? And so that started my ministry to be with other women. And I guess maybe uh, something I forgot to tell you, and I'll back up a little bit. Um, that's allowed, right? I can back up a little bit. Sure. I don't make the beeping sounds when I back up, but... <laughs> I can <laughs> put them in. Okay. <laughs> do that. Um, so... I had told my mother-in-law that first night I met her, my future mother-in-law, that I didn't want children. I never wanted children. Never. I didn't feel like I deserved children. I had done this horrible thing. I knew what I'd done was wrong, and I didn't feel like God should give me any kids. And this is even before I became a Christian. And so I kept that up right until the night of the memorial service for my sweet little baby in heaven that we had. And all of a sudden, I wanted children. I wanted a child. Three days later, I had a positive pregnancy test, so I was already pregnant and didn't know it. Hmm. And the redemption I felt was very real. And so I had her. She's 20 now. She's an, or she's about to be 20. She's an amazing young woman. She's already married and wants to have kids. She's just going to be an amazing wife and mom. But So we move her, and we move up to Asheville, 
And um, I realized real quickly I didn't want to live in Asheville. It had a weird vibe to it. It just didn't, it wasn't somewhere I wanted to be. So Hendersonville was close by. So we decided to live in Hendersonville. But I started this post-abortion Bible study. And I have taught that now probably 17 years. And I have taught various forms of it. We've done weekend studies. We've done weekly studies that last 11 weeks. Um, I've taken time off to have since her three other children. So I have four living children and one in heaven and two boys and two girls and then my boy in heaven. And so, and I have a son-in-law who's awesome too. So he's a good kid. (laughs) So I have five living children now. I'll claim him. And, um, but I, I just can't even tell you teaching these women, every time I go through the Bible study, I get something more. The Bible, every time I open it up, I get something more. And I don't have to add or take away anything from it. It's just the Word of God speaking to me through that Word and seeing these women when they come in. And that's how I looked, beaten down, couldn't look anybody in the eye, ashamed, the shame of what I had done. And my my thought is, if abortion's so right, why is there so much shame? If it's so right, what that it's a why do we feel so much shame? Because we end the natural order of what God wants, the way He's created the family. And so watching them come in, all bent over, and we'll sit down and I'll say, everybody in the group, and it's usually no more than four women at a time because Otherwise, it's just too much. They can't share. And so I'll say, look at each other right now. Take a mental picture of each other. And then at the end of the Bible study, I'll say, okay, everybody look around. Who looks different? And every one of them smile. Every one of them are, you know, their countenances have changed. Their God has changed them. And I watch it happen. And it is the most amazing thing. And so I've been blessed to be able to tell my, my testimony. I went back to the church that was protesting the day that I had my abortion. And I called the pastor and I said, I have bad-mouthed you for 10 years because I felt like you were judging me, but you weren't. And I would like to apologize to the church. He asked me to come and speak on a Sunday morning. He gave me the pulpit for the entire— You know, a Baptist preacher didn't give you the pulpit. No way. He gave me the entire pul- the pulpit for the entire preaching. <clears throat> and basically, I shared my story in front of the people I graduated high school with, who my reputation at the time was like I was pure as a driven snow. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know. But to a fault, or to a, to a person, they came and spoke to me and said, what an amazing story. We didn't know. You didn't tell us. Well, no, I wouldn't have. I was a scared teenage girl. And then I was broken and, you know, borderline alcoholic and suicidal. And they were just, but I'm not that person anymore. The Lord has changed me. And whatever you believe about the Bible, whatever you believe about Jesus, we can have that argument. And I like that y'all do in this room. But you can't argue about how God has changed me because you would not have recognized me at 21 years old. Yeah, I, I wouldn't not even try. The same person. I don't even recognize me. And my mom, my adoptive mom, has never was never on board for me speaking out. She said it was embarrassing, and it was embarrassing to her. I said, "But mom, when the Lord 
presents the opportunity that I may speak freedom to the captives, that I can bring beauty from ashes, that he can bring beauty from ashes with my story, why would I not share to bring God glory? Mm-hmm. And so that's my story in a nutshell. There are other ways I could go with it, but people say, well, why do you talk about like the darkest day in, a, in your life? And I said, because the Lord told me He gave me a big mouth and I was going to use it to bring Him glory. So here I am using my big mouth <laughs> on a podcast. I didn't ever see that I would do that. But it's, it's a story that there are other women. There are other women, Christian women, one in four Christian women have had an abortion. And mm-hmm. they're sitting out there thinking, all these perfect Christian ladies with all their families that look so perfect and the little kids all in matching clothes and... They teach Bible study. I was that woman. And they're sitting there. And so while I am not the person that is out at a pregnancy center, walking around with my son, I am on the back end to let women know there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ if you know Him. Mm -hmm. If you know Him, do you know Him? And that's all I want because he can take what I meant for evil and use it for good. Mm-hmm. And I've had probably 50 women come through this Bible study. It doesn't seem like a huge amount of numbers, but to the one lady who is now free from her burden that she has carried, it's a lot. <clears throat> these a lot of these testimonies end up being very similar, don't they? So far with the people that I've that we've had in here, and it's you know you make choices that you think that can't be overcome, you know. And before I was a Christian, you know, I went through multiple types of therapy, um, and I gave it the good old college try, even when I was in high school. <laughs> you know, for therapy. Does I'll that jokes. count as your joke for the day? <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance, pal. And Sarita's got one. She told me she's bringing one. I did. I brought one. And I've got a great one. It's the best one I've ever we'll done. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll but, be the judge of that. Yeah. So something that I can say this, I've learned this from Andy, actually. Um, <laughs> she's looking at him like, you're crazy. They can't see you. Okay, so, so I'm going to do this real quick. So I the way I set up the mic, I'm in a different room because I'm just like, I fidget and I walk back and forth and look at the computer and stuff like that. So it's just easier if yeah. I, I am in a separate room. But I set, for a testimonial, I set the chair up looking towards Rick and Cherry, especially because people usually just talk at Rick. So if I don't put the mic over there, they'll just talk around the mic. So when she wants to see me, she literally has to like crane her neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's so, done a really good job staying with yeah. the mic. So you've obviously done some public speaking, like you said. But anyway, yeah, sorry. But when we talked about the church earlier, you know, the pants, you know, yeah. Pants Wednesday or whatever. And uh, we give them a hard time. And uh, and I've been I've given a lot of churches a hard time in here, and one of the things that I thought about is you know Andy sits in here and he listens to us and he's very respectful. Like he might have some difference of opinion, but he's respectful. And I need to ask forgiveness of a lot of people. I'll just go ahead and say it. Like when I make fun of you or I say I'm, I, I do apologize because if you are in a church and they don't want you to wear they only want you to wear skirts then. And, and you're comfortable there and you're worshiping there, then by all means, go and worship. You can worship wherever. Absolutely. If, if you don't want to wear jewelry because you feel convicted about it, then do so. You know, um, 
I don't want to make the mistake, you know, Paul mentions this many times. We don't want to hurt no. other people, you know, and Andy's been, he's been great in here, you know, just listening and putting up with the, you know, some of the silliness, but it's, I it's almost never the religion. Every once in a while, there'll be a social thing where I'll bite my tongue, <laughs> just like, oh, I'm leaving that alone. But it's never like the religious stuff. Like yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Hey man, whatever gets you through the day, it's not hurting other people. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. The good news is Elon Musk bought our show. You can't talk. So. <laughs> We'll talk I can't, about that social I can't issue if I some advertise for him. As long as, <laughs> as long as I slip in little positive mentions about uh, associated properties, yes, then uh, then I'm good. I thought it was interesting that everybody was so excited that when Elon Musk, you know, purchases it out, that Donald Trump could come back to Twitter, and he won't. He won't. He's going to stick with his own his own Truth Social, which is horrible. Have you seen? It's terrible. Come on, anyway. Uh, you're on it. Mm-hmm. You like it? No, it's all right. It's got to be a weird echo chamber of it's weird. Just one it's, one thing. You know, it's bizarre. I don't like to just be around like-minded people. I like to. I think we grow when we're around people who aren't like-minded. You know, Rick and I had a conversation on the phone the other night. Like, I don't re- believe some of the things he believes about the Mount Olivet discourse. <laughs> you are in good company. <laughs> <laughs> But you did really, I told him on the phone, I told him this on the phone, I said, you did really get me thinking about the Lazarus thing. Like, I wanted to go back and do a little bit more research and find out that's pretty cool thinking. It doesn't make a difference, heaven or hell, but it really gets you thinking. And that's how we grow is to not be inside our own echo chamber, like Andy said. And so I know that not a lot of people will come and speak about abortion and being pro-life and if you ask me, and I'll tell you, I'm pro-life in all instances. And I know that that will push some people to the—but I've experienced it. And what we don't talk about, and we do as a society, going back to the social issues Andy mentioned, it's a woman's choice. It is a, you know, you can do this. If you're not ready, you can do this. And yes, that's how we've, we've designed our society that we can do this. We can have an abortion if we want to have a career. I have a career. I have four kids, but whatever. All that to say is what we don't talk about is the damage that it does to the woman after. Some women never recover. Some women become so like Pharaoh hardened. Their hearts are hardened and you'll, you'll hear people be at, um, interviewed and they'll be like, I had an abortion and I'd have it again. And, you know, I never want to be so calloused that the loss of a human life, no matter when it begins, no matter where it is, whether it's in utero or out, I never want to be callous to the point where it doesn't give me pause, at least for just a minute, and think, what are we doing to ourselves? What are we doing to our society? And you want to talk about societal issues. The number one demographic for abortions are African-American women. More African-American babies were aborted in New York in 2020 than were born alive. Really? Yes. I've heard some of these statistics before, and some of them are absolutely false. I'm not going to spend the time. I don't know, but I'm not going to spend the time Googling right now, but literally statistics just like that. They can be statistics, yeah. Oh, you just, you really got to double check those because absolutely have heard one statistics, not that one exactly, but very much like that. Absolutely incorrect or really good with the 
you know, how do you define this? Well, for in, those who are listening, feel free happen. to Google it and yeah. see. Perhaps, I would, I would, perhaps I would it's Google true. It. Who, and, who, and make sure your source isn't crap. What, what government agency would we search for that kind of information? What do you think? That's that's a good question. Plan, I would just Google it and start parenthood? picking through it. Huh? Planned Parenthood? They wouldn't. Would they have every abortion, though? They're supposed to, by law, you're supposed to report them, except California. Okay. Okay. By law, you're supposed to report. Well, there you go. So, but the statistic you can't argue is there have been 61 million abortions in the United States since 1973. And that's only ones that are done in the abortion clinic. That doesn't include ones done in the hospital or in the state of California who does not report their numbers. And as big as the state of California, it, California is, you know it's more than that. I've always wondered... So as I grew up, you know, I've told many times, I stayed with this family, the Rileys, a lot, and they are pro-abortion. So I grew up around it, and I heard the arguments from both sides. As a child, I heard these arguments, because that's one of the things that we did was listening to, you know, to debates while we were kids. You know, it was just really bizarre, but— um, That sounds like a fun time. You know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that. But um, I guess the thing that always, you know, it always hit me is— you know, we have a culture where we don't talk about our problems. Like we do, but we don't, right? So we can go on social media and blast things or go on through the internet and we feel more courageous perhaps to say something, some arbitrary thing or whatever. But if we're person to person, it's harder to come out to people about maybe what your problems might be. I mean, that's so much of her story, right? It's the the isolation yes. of believing in other people's perfection and worrying about the judgment. That's right. That's isolating. That is absolutely. And so I, I and wonder- And that's devastating. Sure. Isolation. People are people are pack animals, man. Yes, they are. Yeah. Isolation is bad. We've talked about that many times that we're it's the herd, the herd mentality, right? So I always wondered, so if there was a young woman that was about to have an abortion- that's hiding it because they either they they are isolated or they have been abused or whatever it might be, and they've made the determination that I can't be a parent. They don't know all the ins and outs on perhaps how to have a child and then give it up for adoption, or maybe they just don't even want to go through all of that. They they're making these decisions that if they were able to talk about it, you know, if you were able to look, you know, if I were to look at you and say, listen. Why don't you, if I asked you, your young self that was about to, you know, to abort the child, why do you want to do this? You, apart from outside of everybody, just to have a talk and say, why is it that you want to? Because my mom told me to. So that, so that would begin a new conversation. Right. Whatever that answer would be, would be a new conversation. Perhaps it is, I'm not financially able to take care of a child. You know, um, I don't have any support from my family whatsoever. And so then we can, you can have these discussions. And I think that, you know, you, you're teaching these post-abortion classes, which I think is phenomenal because these, there's some people that have already done it and they're, they're damaged either mentally or physically or whatever happened to them. And you're talking to them and you're giving them a sense of hope. And what I want to do is try to get that sense of hope earlier you know, and I'm not saying that you aren't. I'm just saying that from from your testimony, that's where you are. And I I, I want to get that sense of hope. Picketing is not the answer no. because it's very scary. People are, you know, you're going to hide yourself and you're going to do it, whatever. You might even be that kind of a person that says, I'm going to be belligerent just because you're being belligerent. And I'm going to go in here and do this, not even realizing the ramifications of what they're doing. At any rate, it's almost always going to be alienating. Yes. yes. In, in the moment right. and not helpful. It's not yeah. helpful. And which is 
part of the reason I don't do it. Now, I do volunteer at the pregnancy center in Spartanburg. It's called Carolina Pregnancy Center. And I uh, volunteer once or twice a week for an afternoon or a morning. Um, I see clients who are coming in for pregnancy tests. Um, and so we find out then what their intentions are. We always are very upfront with them. We are a Christian ministry. But what is your, you know, wh- what are your intentions? If they say they want to keep the baby, we help them you know, get WIC and Medicaid, and we, 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 we tell them we want to help take care of the whole family unit, which sometimes is just them and the future baby, right? The, the baby that's inside of them. Then there are women who they've already, they're dead set on their choice. They're, they're going to have an abortion. And we tell them, ultimately, when you leave here, you have to make that decision. But let me tell you my story. Because I want you to have all the information. This can be, not necessarily will be, it can be damaging to your psyche. It can be damaging to your emotions. It can be damaging, you know, to your life. You think it's an easy fix. It's a quick relief. The problem's gone. I don't have to share it with anybody. I just have to come in here and get this pregnancy test because I can't go to the abortion clinic without a positive pregnancy test. And so they come in because we'll do it for free. Mm-hmm. And so I counsel them. I share with them my story. I always share with them about Jesus and how much He loves them no matter what decision they make. That It doesn't matter. He doesn't want them to make that decision. But if they do, He still loves them. Which always comes down to the definition of life. Right. You know, that's that's really what I learned as, you know, having those debates as a child is that how you how you define life because that they're picketing because they want to they're they're trying to be the guardian for that unborn child's life, right? That's kind of the idea in their mind. They're coming out and saying, let's save the child. This is the child. It's you know, it's inside you. But it's alive. It has a is that has it has a heartbeat. When does a heartbeat start for a baby? How how early does it begin? When you know uh, could that baby live outside of it? Does it matter at what point? You know that's where all these arguments are. And boy, I tell you what, we're not going to be able to stop the heat. Let's just be real. Mm-mm. It's heated for mm-hmm. reasons. Some people don't believe it's life until after so much time. Some people believe it's life from conception from the just the very first moment. Regardless of any of that, regardless of the arguments and the heat and all that, if we have not love, then what do we have? We're a clanging symbol. That's all we are. Yeah. And if that's how not, I approach these ladies when they, these girls, sometimes they're girls. And it should be anybody in I, any I approach state. them with love. Yes. Care, I love understanding. You. I understand where you are. I have been there. I have, I've sat in that chair and no one told me what was about to happen. Right. No one told me. If somebody may, I don't know if I would have changed my mind. That's right. You may not have. I don't, but if somebody had just given me all the facts, mm-hmm. I was eight weeks, the heartbeat was there. If they had gave you that little tiny thing and said, this is that little tiny baby that was, that it you It would have held, changed my mind. That would have changed my mind. That would have changed your mind. Now that, but then again, they might say that's, you know, that's psychotic. You can't do that because of whatever reason. Like that baby can't live outside of you at eight weeks. It's not going to make it. Do you see what I mean? I like, know. if it can't live outside of you, then is it a lot? Like, the arguments never cease. They don't. So the question for me, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I'm, I'm pretty alone here. I don't think it's particularly material whether it's alive or not. I think it's a human being, and I think individually we are important. 
you're important, you're important, you're important. We're all important. As a species, the earth is littered with us. We're not that we're not that important. It's just we're important to one another. But you know, from a hundred feet in the air, we're just damn ants. But you see, know, and and but I disagree with you on that one. I, just, I, and you I know don't we're think, gonna disagree. I don't think people are I think you're special. I think anybody I know is special. Sure. But in two generations, so we'll many be, billions we'll be of people. Like whatever. People aren't that important. They're just not. We're important to ourselves. We're important to the people we immediately know. But we're not important. But you are. Eh, it, maybe to you. No, like you'd you'd be sad. You know? Eh, that's nice. I'd be sad about you. Yeah, but the the, the whole world just that just kind of piles on. There's more people coming. Just fine. I, I get where Andy's coming it's, from. It's fine. I mean, I've, yeah. I've it's not that my, big a deal. I've I'm not read, saying go kill anybody. Right. I have but read it's just like, Kampf. ah, it's fine. Whatever. Right. I've read Mein Kampf. I get it. Unfortunately, you, <laughs> I've, never heard, read, I've never I read Mein Kampf. Well, you, you've Thank heard you. it. Good. People have said to you, it doesn't become real until it becomes real to you. Like, sure. if you look, I mean, think about it. If you're looking out at the number of people that actually populate the world. It, yeah. I mean, it's billion. not even really like fathomable in your mind. And that it is number. like the, the people that we choose to, the people we don't know that we choose to care about is very telling. A lot of people die way young all the time. But we choose to care about particular ones, and we and we just fail. We don't choose to not care, but we just fail to care about other people. And that's just, it's because of access. It's because what kind of becomes in front of you becomes real, and the real is what we care about. But there are a lot of people, children, whatever, viable human beings, very nice, healthy, educated, smart, good-loving people. They die all the time. Yeah, sure. All the time. And we can't. It's just, you don't even know it. But see, I believe, I personally believe that Christ died for all of them. That's just my belief. Okay? Well, that and takes care of their afterlife, sure. It, it, it takes care of their life because he gives you an abundant life here. Not just eternal. Not everybody gets an abundant an life. An abundant life is Abundant life doesn't mean money. Yeah, abundant life is not possession. Some people have horrible brutish lives where they scrape and struggle the entire time and then die horribly. Yes. Just, even that, that happens. You're describing the disciples. Do. Like yeah. most of the disciples that were like that. And because of what those men did and the sacrifices they made, the persecutions they went through, that message made it all the way to me 2,000 years later. And it changed my life. It and literally it saved changed my life. time. It saved it my did. life. I'll agree with that. It changed all of human history. It, it certainly changed did. my life. Sure. And it's my belief that Christ died for the ungodly, which means every single human being that was ever born. That's what I believe. I, I will never change my mind. I just, it'll never happen. I just because believe it. Because I have it. changed my mind. I changed my mind from not being a believer to being a believer. He changed my mind. He changed my heart. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just my mind. He cleansed my heart. But So, I only have— so the. I don't really try to get into pro-life, pro-choice arguments— too much with people. They're right. They're usually unproductive. To be fair. they're they not. Are, I'm yeah, not, they're unproductive. Typically, yeah. somebody who wants to engage in that is already the has same their mind people made that up. Put turds on my wall. <laughs> 
What? <laughs> he just he got he got somebody. It was an advertisement. Somebody got advertised to, and they posted a turd on his oh, as a reply to his a advertisement. Real turd? No, 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 no. no. A picture a of a picture of one. You picked on my timeline, so this is for yours. Yes. <laughs> wow. So yeah. really, just sharing, sharing yeah. is caring. Sharing yeah. is caring. She. You know what? They gave you their attention and time. That's valuable. Obviously, they hurt my feelings. I brought it up in three podcasts, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot, lady. So really the only- oh, was a woman. It was a woman. Oh, it was a woman. Come on, lady. Be classy. Yes. Right. Anyway, so the only thing that I will ever get into, the only question I'll really ever ask a person who believes differently than I do or who believes the same as I do, because you'll have Christians who say, well, it's okay if it's rape or incest. And my question is, because I think that's the weakest argument it, from another Christian, um, maybe not from an atheist or from a non-believer or another faith, because we don't believe the same about the value of human life. But what he said is correct. It's human. Is it life or is it not? Mm-hmm. Is what's inside well, of us his life argument, or is it not? And to be I'm fair not, to him, his argument was something different. Uh, it's a, there's yeah, plenty of them. Yeah, there's plenty of people. Well, We're all my, ants. We my don't. thing is like that argument. The is it human? Is it a life? I, I don't think that's even the right argument. I think the people that are having that argument are trying to convince people. God, how do I? So, even what say are that? the right questions then? That, well, they're they're the right. But we question. should turn you around. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this crazy. Gonna have a crack uh, in our neck. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know what the right questions are. I mean, I'm just like to me, it's just. So, Every person is an individual. I have to respect can I ask that. You a question? That is an incredibly difficult decision. It is. It is always a difficult decision. And if it's not a difficult decision, that is telling. Yes. That is correct. Uh, and, and, and like, all I can do is just be like, you're you only know, you know your circumstances. I've got to just put faith in you to make the decision that is best for those set of circumstances. That's fine. And I'll let you say what you're going to say, but that's fine. But my, I'm done. yeah, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my, my, my opinion, what I was saying earlier was that if we take a step back and say, I hope you make this, it's kind of like more isolation. Well, I mean- If we ask the question, look, is there anything that I can do? Like, okay, look, you're in this situation. Do you want to be in this situation? Okay, you want to get out of this situation. Do you know that there's all kinds of ways to get out of this situation? You know, that don't is, isolate them. That's not them. necessarily like what I'm, okay. what I'm advocating. That is- that is one way to interpret an extension of what I'm saying, but it is not. It is not actually. Do you like? Do you ladies like watching two men debate about abortion? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Trust me. That's that is not well, yeah. here, Here's my thing on that. Okay. And that's a very important point. Yeah. We have so devalued the role of fatherhood in our society. Yeah, I agree with that. That you now have no say in. The 23 chromosomes that you just gave that woman because she carries that life inside of her, you now have no say in it. Mm-hmm. And I think we have so diminished the role of fathers and men in our society. Like, you two are white men. You're screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, y'all are screwed. My, I'm raising two white boys. I feel fine. And they're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but in society, y'all don't have a say about what goes on. With this human being that, that you created. Instance, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah just, and you that, don't have a say, typically. Well, it's my decision. And most guys will say, yes, it's your decision. Maybe, and I'm, it is a difficult decision, but maybe instead of 
my boyfriend at the time saying, I'll support you in whatever decision you make. If he had said, and I don't know if this would change my mind, I want to support this child. I want you to have this child. I think it's wrong what you're doing. And somebody had spoken truth to me, maybe I would have heard it. Because all I was hearing was, you're not going to ruin your life with a baby. If they weren't denying it was a baby, my mom was not denying it was a baby. You're not going to ruin your life by having a baby. You're not going to ruin your life. And that's all I heard. Sure. I didn't hear any love there. So when these ladies, these girls, these women come in the center, I want them to hear, I love you. I'm here for you. That's why what can you're I, there. That's why I'm there. I you're told you on the phone the other night yes. that I want to be the adult I needed and didn't have. That's right. That and would listen unconditionally. Because I'm going to go back to the, the, the New Zealand pastor, Pastor Balson. When I shared with him finally why I walked out of the church service, and I shared with him what I had done, he stood up, came around his desk, and threw his arms around me. And I hear that. I can still hear his news. He said, I love you so much, Sarita. And I love that. He calls, he calls me that. And uh, Sounds like a snack food. But. It does. And Well, maybe. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go get a pack of Cerritos on the way home. Cerritos, yeah. So he, but he just accepted me. He didn't give me any advice. He didn't tell me it was going to be okay. He just got up. My husband was in the room. He got up. He came around the desk, and he put his arms around me, and he said, I love you. And most importantly, Jesus loves you. And that was all. And it was just like, I cried. I cried right there, and just as hard as I had ever cried before, because I'd never really felt, other than from my husband, I'd done this horrible thing, and yet he loves me. And it was a picture of how Christ loves us. We've done these horrible things. I've ranked my sin abortion over your sin of telling a lie. But God still loves me anyway, because He sees all sin the same. Yeah. And I call that the goodwill hunting moment, if you've ever seen that film. Have you ever seen that film? I've literally never seen it. It's wonderful. What? Yeah, I know. It's Wait, kind what? of a classic. Yeah, it's awesome. I know. I've never seen it. It's so not on Robin purpose. Williams, it just didn't it's happen. It's way outside your brain, though. It's hard to like... I'll just it. I'll make a very, 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 very brief little snippet here for you. So Robin Williams is playing a, a psychiatrist um, that is working with Matt Damon's character, Will Hunting, who was severely physically abused as a child. And he's in college. He's a genius. And he pretty much gets rid of all of the psychiatrists because he outwits them all the time. But Robin Williams is kind of like a community college professor. And so he can't outwit him because they're both from Boston. From you know, from Southie, and so they um, they get to this place, and you just have to see the film where it comes to where he looks at at Will at Matt Damon's character, and he says, "It's not your fault." And and well, you know, he's like, "I know." And he's like, "No, listen to me. It's not your fault." And he's like, "Yeah, I know." And he's like, "It's not your fault, son." Like he <laughs> knew that that kid. Still blamed himself. Yeah. He knew that he was the problem in his mind, but it really wasn't him. He was reacting to all the things that he'd been through. He was just this other self, right? You can you can definitely be like have a conscious knowledge of things like that where you're like, I didn't do this, and at the same time hold the, hold it, hold the yeah, hold and the I responsibility. Think like that in moment your heart for you is like you've held all this in, and then you just had a man that 
that means a lot to you that comes around and loves you. And it's like, we know that we know Jesus loves us, but it's so much, a lot of times it's nicer to get a hug. It yeah. feels nice to just get a hug, you know? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were going to read something. No, I was just going to tell my joke now. Oh, good. Yeah, it's about time for a joke, I think. <laughs> okay. It's not an abortion joke, please. It's not an abortion joke. <laughs> Yikes. Nope. Yikes. That would, be, <laughs> that would be a little uncouth, but. Yeah, it would be. An engineer dies and goes to hell. He's hot and miserable, so he decides to take action. The AC has been busted for a long time, so he fixes it. Things cool down quickly. The moving walkway motor jams, so he unjams it. People can get from place to place more easily. The TV was grainy and unclear, so he fixes the connection to the satellite dish, Elon Musk, and now gets (laughs) hundreds of high-def channels. One day, God decides to look down on hell to see how his grand design is working out and notices that everyone is happy and enjoying umbrella drinks. He asks the devil, What's going on? The devil replies, things are great down here since you sent us that engineer. What? An engineer? I didn't send you one of those. That must have been a mistake. Send him right back up this minute. The devil responds, uh, no way. We're going to keep our engineer. We like this guy. And God demands, if you don't send him to me immediately, I'll sue you. To which the devil laughs and says, where are you going to get a lawyer? (laughs) 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 Sorry, lawyers. That was great. Oh, they must be used to it. I'm sure they, <laughs> they are. <have> <laughs> do well, you have any more questions for me? Do you guys have any other questions? Let me try to think because we've been like so up from the, the, the main plot here. I don't have any questions. Yeah. I just want to thank you for coming. It's always nice to hear other testimonies. You know, you had mentioned uh, people ask you why you talk about the darkest moments, but you know, that's what he brought us from. He brought us from those darkest moments. Into like if, the light. Yes. And so when we reflect back on that and just where we've come from, and that we didn't come on our own, obviously, because we could already see what, what we were doing to ourselves. Man, that's just what you want to just say to everybody. Look, if you're out there and you're in this darkness and you're broken and you're just struggling, you know, God's there. And that's that's what gives us that hope. That's what gives us that light. That's what makes a difference in our lives. You know, all jokes aside, kind of. But I got saved on a Wednesday night in a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah, you know, pants night, kind of. You know, but <laughs> ladies' pants night. <laughs> I wore myself because I didn't care at that time. I was just going to church. wasn't You know, a big deal to me what I looked like when I went. But man, it's just great to hear testimonies of. Just of everything. It doesn't matter whether it's drugs, whether it's, you know, abortion. And I mean, it's all these things that nobody wants to talk about, you know, to admit. If you want to talk about it, you want to talk about it because you want to talk about what everybody else done. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to talk about what you did. And so it's great to hear that. And then, you know, to hear that the same thing, the, the common thing in all of it is that Christ, no matter what we had done, no matter where we were, came to us in that moment. And he loved us and he saved us. And that's who we are now. And are we perfect? No, we're not. But we can share those stories to people who may still be in a position, whether it's they're lost and don't know him or know of him, but are still struggling with things that we have done, you know, to come to that and hear, you know, that there's always an overcoming of that. Mm -hmm. And that's just a blessing to me. I love it. Well, I I do want to say, I'm sorry, Andy, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... If you are a woman who's had an abortion and you feel lost or isolated, alone, like we talked about, you're not. And there are women, besides me, I'm not the only one, praise the Lord, because 
I'm not the greatest one even, not even, gosh, I might be the least of these, but there are women who want to help you. And you can reach out to your local crisis pregnancy center. Um, you can find me on on Facebook, Sarita Edgerton. Um, I'll be glad to talk with you, um, point you in the right direction. Some people don't regret their abortions, but I would say a lot do. A lot do. And I've seen it over the years. And I spent, from a woman who spent so many years in darkness, when Christ exposed it to the light, it was— The thing you're the most afraid of is the thing you actually need. Right. Yes. You don't want to bring it into the light to let Him see it because you feel the shame, but it's He's the one that takes the shame, and then you get the light. So yeah. going back to the wound I was telling you about, I had that big gaping hole. It was festering. It was gross. And the Lord came in and said, girl, let me just get you some Clorox. I'm going to clean that up right there with my, my Jesus blood. I'm going to make it, and then I'm going to fill it with me, with my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to fill you. And then you and I are going to talk about things that bring me glory, not me, Sarita, but me, Jesus. And that's exactly what I pray for, for women, anybody who's hearing this, no matter what that gaping hole is caused by abuse, because that's a whole different subject. Being raised by a narcissistic mother, that's a whole nother part of my testimony. Um, when my fourth child was born, I was advised to have an abortion. That's a whole different side of my testimony. And so I have been the woman whose life was in crisis. and my life, I was a 50-50 shot of living. I've been the teenage girl. And so I've been there, and there's no judgment for me. So if you're a woman out there and you need healing, find a way to get some help. And for those of you who are listening to our podcast, we have always opened up our email, the info at burrosabria.com. Send a message. Yeah. I'll send you to Sarita. We'll find you some, We'll find somebody to you. Janice offered that uh, in the last podcast. We, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But I will get you the person that does. You I know? said on the interstate, yeah, with, inter yeah. behind direct, listening to her testimony. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. And so we we'll get you to somebody that can help. You know, we'll point. We'll make. Sarita doesn't mind being busy for this. Nope, I guarantee it. I don't mind being busy for Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Somebody get that girl a shirt. All right. Thank you so <laughs> much. Thank for you so being much for here. having me. It was wonderful to have you here. Thanks for being so honest. Thank you. It was really not. You, I didn't even know a quarter of it. And I'm glad you. I'm glad you shared all of that. It's wonderful. Well, that's not even a quarter of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing, and I think as has kind of already been said, important for you to say out loud so that hopefully. Other people don't have quite the same experience as you. There's no way probably to make that easy, but but knowing that people aren't alone is a big deal mm. yeah. in their experiences. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much for thank being you. here. Cherry, as always, thank you. Andy. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll but talk to you. He kind of has to be here, right? Uh, actually, I pay him to be here. <laughs> but I think that he would do it. Nah, I'm just kidding. Do you pay I, him to participate, though? I thought no, Elon Musk no, was paying He him. actually does not have to participate. He can sit in there and just not be a part. But I asked him to be, and he's been kind enough to well, sit thanks, in with us. thanks, Andy. Yeah, I'm so glad. Ain't you yeah. precious? And, and just go back and <laughs> listen to those But I also do have episodes. to like, pay rented bills and stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> when he, we gush on him sometimes, and he's like, enough, enough. Like, he... <laughs> We more, love more, him. more. Anyway, well, thanks, guys. We will talk to you again next time on the Burrows of Berea. 
Cherry, would it be, could you turn that? All I see is the light and not you. How's that? That's perfect. Yeah. We don't have to have any lights if we don't want them. We can just do it in the dark. (laughs) Do it in the dark. (coughs) Yeah, buddy. What do you do for a living, Rick? I own a company called Acme Machine and a second company called OmniHawk. I know Acme Machine. You know it? Mm -hmm. I used to be in uh, trucking sales, and I used to call on Acme Machine back, way back, about 17 years ago. Okay, so we own... Acme Machine LLC, which is not that company. We've only been in business for six years now. Okay. And so, yeah, we're launching our second company. Our new product is coming out uh, May 1st, May 2nd. What is new product? Yeah. It's our hatchet line. So we have a a, fancy hatchet. Is this for the axe throwing companies, all these new businesses? We actually are going to sponsor a tournament for axe throwing, but it's not. uh, Axe throwing, they use hickory handles with little Mm -hmm. heads, you know. Mm -hmm. This is a full steel wrapped in paracord. Uh, hardened to 58 Rockwell and sharpened. I mean, it will cut a piece of paper. It's so sharp, which is unusual for a hatchet. But what makes it awesome, and by the way, OmniHawk is going to sponsor Burroughs of Berea for six months. Yeah, cool. They're gonna wow. we're gonna do ads for them, Ooh. which oh, is awesome. That's cool. Yeah, they agreed on it in a board meeting the other day. Oh, that's amazing. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Cool. The, nice. But what we sell in the system is the we we have a holster, but it's a click in, kind of like Glocks. Whenever you put a Glock in and it clicks uh-huh. in, mm-hmm. this the hatchet just goes click, and then <laughs> you press a button and pull it out. Mm-hmm. And we can customize it in any color. So we're actually going to try to market this to girls. So in the yes. zombie apocalypse, yes. I'll need it. We're going to pink ones. We, we yeah, laugh I was thinking about pink. pink. Yeah. I want Carolina blue. Yeah, see, and we can do Carolina. We can do the dark blue, light, you know, Carolina blue and white mm-hmm. and wrap it mm-hmm. or with gray or whatever. So we can customize the, the wrap or and we can customize the holster. People so, are going to be scared of me with I got my Glock on one hip and my hatchet and can, on the and other. And please do it and take a picture of yourself in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> open carry. Yeah, mul- South Carolina is open carry. Yeah. Yeah. Are we rolling? Yeah, yeah. We we got it. We're going. We're going a while now. All right. Well, four minutes. A okay. while might be pushing it. <laughs>